Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. We are, what, three days into our reflection and our study, and we've already talked about a great number of things because, well, St. Paul tackles everything. And so one of the advantages of going through these two epistles, as you have let me know, is that we have covered such a wide array of subject matter. Really, Paul's epistles to the Church of Corinth touches upon every major aspect of the Christian Catholic faith. So this really has benefited us in our own journey to see how we are called to better live out our faith. Now, before we jump into verses 15 and following, I did want to go back and touch upon a couple things as Father Stegman does. I noted yesterday that we are now in... Father Stegman's commentary as he treats Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, and he notes something here about conscience that I really didn't get into, and that is that Paul really is the champion of conscience, in that he came to realize that God put his law into the hearts of all people. Now, I talked about that, but for Paul, (laughs) while he was concerned with the proper formation of conscience among members of his fledgling communities, he demanded sensitivity towards those whose conscience was not fully formed. Paul, my friends, recognized that a good conscience is only authentically developed alongside, and this is what is so important, a sincere faith, yes, but also a pure heart, because it is only out of a pure heart that true love emerges. You know, the Catholic Church, my friends, insists on the dignity of all people, a dignity that is closely associated with what but conscience. And the all-important document coming to us from Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, we read, For every person has in his or her heart a law inscribed by God. One's dignity rests in observing this law, and by it each person will be judged." One's conscience is his or her most secret court and sanctuary. There he or she is alone with God, whose voice echoes deeply within. I've always loved that phrase from this particular paragraph. Again, this is Gaudium et Spes. You can pull it up on Google. Um, Just Google Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 16. There he or she is alone with God, whose voice echoes deeply within. So one of the primary tasks of every Christian is then the ongoing formation of his or her conscience. In particular, as the Catechism reminds us, we are all called to turn to the Word of God for light and and assimilating this Word through prayer and faith. Certainly, Paul's letters hold up this self-giving love of Jesus, as we will read later in his second letter to the Church of Corinth, a love that impels his followers to emulate him as the key criterion for moral decision-making. So we form our conscience, a formation that is rooted in love, and this, my friends, is the criterion that leads us to 
sound decision making. Once we follow this criterion, once we follow this formula, we are sure to grow in the single-hearted devotion to and sincerity of God that that St. Paul exemplifies. And remember, my friends, that when we talk about the pure of heart, we always ought to go back to that beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. The Greek there is katharos. It translates this whole Hebrew vision of Levitical priestly sacrifice. And the idea is, if you want to be pure of heart, you are called to sacrifice your impurities to God. Give all of your impurities to God and let Him purify them. Let your impurities be refined in God's fire. Now, the kathalos is probably best translated as something that is not mixed with another thing. Okay, so to be pure of heart is to be single-hearted for God. You can't be pure of heart if your mind and heart is constantly wandering, if you're focused on anything other than God. You can only be pure of heart if you have that laser-like focus on God. How many times have you heard me say, there is great importance in translating the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Latin, because what you discover, what you find, is the hidden meaning in why (laughs) we read what we read. And of course, in this case, the hidden meaning is, quite simply, if you're going to be pure of heart, you have to be single-minded. And that single-mindedness is a single-heartedness, a single-heartedness for Jesus Christ. That is what this is about. So we form our conscience in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, will we have a single-mindedness for God. Now, second, before we jump into verse 15, is this boasting. You know, we've heard the adage, it ain't bragging if it's true. (laughs) Paul would probably agree with this statement, but with an important caveat. Namely, it is only true when we acknowledge God as the source of our success and accomplishments, right? This is what I talked about yesterday. It is not enough to recognize one's gifts and talents, We are always to recognize that one has a gift and one has a talent because, well, God has put it there. We are created in the image and likeness of God in all things. And so God endows us with all things, including our gifts and our talents. If we seriously reflect on our lives, we will come to recognize that we can do nothing without God. Even on our better days, can we not recall the times we have fallen? Are we not to give thanks to God for everything that we have and also the opportunities that He has given us? This is another point that I failed to mention yesterday. Doors open because God opens them, and we walk through that door because God gives us the grace to walk. Yes, we cooperate in in His action, but He is the protagonist, right? My dear friends, all of us know how off-putting the bragging of others can be. In point of fact, we could probably say that such bragging often masks an insecure sense of of self-worth and who we are. Nevertheless, Jesus invites us to talk about ourselves to family, friends, and others, but with a special emphasis (laughs) that we are to share with them what the Lord in His great mercy and compassion has done for us. This is our proclamation. This is our boasting. 
And this is what we learn from St. Paul. And what's more, we are always called to sing of God's praises and what he has done for us. All right, all that being said, let us jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I will go ahead and read the remainder of this chapter, which will take us up to verse 24. So if you have your Bibles out, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 24. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a double pleasure. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans like a worldly man ready to say yes and no at once? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Amen. Okay, now what does St. Paul mean by double pleasure? The Ignatius commentary, I think, has an important point here I want to hit upon. It says, this phrase refers to Paul's original plan to visit the Corinthians on his way to and from the province of Macedonia. Why? Because tensions were high after a painful emergency visit. He changed his itinerary and chose not to visit them again after being in Macedonia. He apparently traveled straight back to Asia Minor instead of making his intended return. And then you have this phrase, was I vacillating? St. Paul is posing a question for a reason. Critics charge St. Paul with being fickle. Paul, in fact, was not fluctuating between yes and no, as though he were someone who was unpredictable or even double-minded. But rather, my friends, he was making all decisions in the best interests of the Corinthians. And of course, in this case, he wished to avoid another confrontational visit and so withdrew until tensions were eased. What does this bring to light? <laughs> the need to be a person of discernment. How many times have you scheduled a visit or set plans only to have, as you draw closer, those plans change? And what I'm talking about isn't a scenario where they are changing outside of your control, but they are changing because the closer you get to it, or maybe because your experience with someone has led you to discern otherwise, to discern an alternative route. This is very important because when St. Paul says, was I vacillating? He is simply <laughs> challenging a notion that we all challenge, right? Anytime someone doesn't follow through on what they initially said they were going to do, what do we say? We say they were fickle. We say they were vacillating. We say that maybe they were ingenuine. When in point of fact, maybe, just maybe, that person <laughs> changed his or her plans because of the experience they had. And now we have to honor that experience. And we have to ask the question, 
Why did he or she change their plans? Maybe there was a reason that we don't see. This is so important because so often today we are quick to judge and we don't honor that sometimes things do change and they change for a very good reason. So this whole topic has us kind of reflecting into this need to reserve judgment. I mean, the mistrust that some of the Corinthians felt towards Paul clearly resulted from their jumping to conclusions and judgment rather than giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? And awaiting his explanation. Brothers and sisters, does not the rush to judge others in our own life frequently result in harm? And I would say this has no place in any Christian community. Mea culpa. As I reflect into this need to reserve judgment, I may to consider the analogy that we find in the exchange between the mother and her very young daughter. There's two apples on the table, and as the daughter goes to grab one apple, the mother says to the daughter, be sure that you save an apple for me. The daughter says, okay. She takes the bite out of one apple and then takes the other apple and, and takes another bite. The mother sees this and rushing to judgment, and it's a rational judgment. Her three-year-old just took a bite out of each apple. She probably didn't want her mother to have any one of the apples. Her daughter probably <laughs> wanted both apples. And so the mother asks her daughter, why did you do this? And her daughter responds, well, I just wanted to see which one was sweeter to save it for you. <laughs> I love that analogy because it really does challenge us, does it not? To what? Reserve judgment. You have heard me talk on many occasions about the importance of judging someone and why we actually do need to judge when it is necessary, right? But we only judge what we see, what is objective, what is external, what is revealed, and what is seen. We do not judge what is subjective, what is internal, unknown, unseen. We can never judge what motivates someone to do what they do. That is what Jesus Christ is talking about. That is what is taboo. You don't judge the heart. You don't judge the state of someone's soul. But in the light of Christian revelation, as Jesus calls us to, we judge when necessary. Why? For the sake of the greater good. If you see someone about to cross the train tracks when a train is coming, you say stop. You are making a critical judgment for the greater good. <laughs> the good of the very life of this person who's going to walk across a train track with, a, with an ongoing train. So we judge, but we always do it with reservation, making sure that you understand the situation that is before you, okay? All right, moving along here. What about this whole business of Jesus and yes? What does Paul signify by linking Jesus with yes? Huh? In order to understand the meaning here, it is helpful to look ahead to the first half of verse 20, because there Paul asserts that all the promises of God have their yes in Christ. So his point is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises God made to Abraham and to Israel through the prophets and sacred scripture. Jesus, God's son and the anointed one, fulfill God's promises through his life, through his ministry, through his death and resurrection, thereby revealing God's faithfulness and love. That is, my friends, Jesus fulfilled God's promises through his own filial love and obedience to the Father's will, and this is the great yes. 
everything in the life of Jesus Christ is an affirmation, is an absolute yes. Do you see? And if he did say no to something, it was only because behind the no, there was an immeasurable greater yes. You can never avoid the absolute nature of his yes because he is the sum total. He is the sum good of all things. And so it is right that St. Paul says what he says so beautifully here. I love it. All the promises of God have their yes in Jesus Christ. Have their yes in Jesus Christ. Now, as I just noted, Jesus Christ is the anointed one. And I was fascinated as I was preparing this evening to go back to verse 21 and see that when Paul says, but it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us, that Greek better translates as anointed us. What did I just say about the pure of heart, really meaning the single heart? (laughs) Those who have been commissioned are those who are anointed. You see, again, the Greek translates this. The Greek helps us here. We have have been anointed by God. We are then what? Commissioned. Cum missio is the Latin. To be sent with. With who? Well, the Holy Spirit. We are not sent alone. We are sent with someone, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, all that being said, to talk about anointing is to talk about what? But the sacrament of confirmation. Now, I know we talked about the sacrament of confirmation, oh, about a month ago, but I want to rekindle some of that subject matter because certainly it is relevant to our reflection into 2 Corinthians chapter 1 here. What is confirmation? Confirmation is the sacrament of initiation alongside, of course, baptism in the Eucharist that we could say completes the grace received in baptism by a special outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what are these gifts? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and last but not least, certainly, the fear of the Lord. And by that, we mean that sense of awe like wonder before God. We can properly say that these gifts, what did we just read there in verses 21 and 22? Seal, which can also translate, my friends, as confirm, where we get the word confirmation, the baptized to be in union with Christ. So the sacrament of confirmation is also known as the sacrament of maturation, the sacrament that strengthens the will to more readily participate in worship and the life of the church, building up the kingdom of God. We could say confirmation firms up the supernatural life that we have received in baptism. The clear distinction between baptism and confirmation is the perfection of the grace received, and again, that perfection consists in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we have regeneration. In confirmation, we have perfection. When I was reflecting into this last month, I offered up an analogy which received quite a few responses, and I'll go ahead and share it again. We, we can liken confirmation, that is the relationship between baptism and confirmation, to chocolate milk, at least how we make chocolate milk in the whole craft household. How do you make chocolate milk? Well, you get a glass of milk and you get the chocolate syrup. You, you put the chocolate syrup in, in the milk and do you have chocolate milk? Well, not quite yet, right? You have to stir the chocolate to actually get chocolate milk. Confirmation is 
the stirring of the gifts we have received in baptism and a maturation as well. And maybe we can put it another way. In confirmation, what we have is the spiritual energy that was given in baptism now awakened. So what we have is spiritual progress to the preceding spiritual birth. And this progress is given impetus by the Holy Spirit, which renders the soul docile to his action. In many ways, my friends, quite simply, confirmation is a sharing in the very anointing of Christ. And here, how can we not think of Samuel anointing David? When the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, in 1 Samuel 16, what do we read? The Lord said to Samuel, there, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel, with the horn of oil in hand, anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. So Samuel anointed David, and from that time on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Brothers and sisters, in confirmation, and the devoted life that proceeds from it, the Holy Spirit rushes to our aid. And is this rushing not echoed in the event, the great event of Pentecost? The event that the church sees as the first confirmation, if you will, where in the upper room we have more than just an intervention of the Holy Spirit, but the beginning of a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a new dispensation of grace. You see, my friends, Pentecost was the moment in which the Holy Spirit is communicated as a divine person. And this is the event that is actualized each and every year in the sacrament of confirmation. Now, as I reflect into this and based upon what I have, what I have already talked about, there is something else here for us to consider. The link between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and our disposition. Consider, my friends, that the apostles themselves were purified for a period of 10 days, a testing time, we can call it, that had preceded the outpouring of grace in the upper room. Their hearts, as they were being purified, were expanding. Did not Christ remind the apostles that they would not be ready to preach and evangelize until the gifts of the Holy Spirit had come? And the time had come after they were purified. Were we just not talking about the need to purify our hearts, to have that single-mindedness for God, a single heart for God? We will have that single heart when we open our heart all the more to God and the gifts we have received in our baptism and what we have received in confirmation. Listen to what St. Paul has to say. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. Verse 22, he has put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What is the seal? That inward stamp of divine ownership. What were seals? Seals in the ancient world were often impressed in clay or, or wax by a king or queen, right? As a sign of authority. Identifying the owner of property or the sender of a letter. Paul's teaching points to the indelible character imprinted on souls who receive baptism and confirmation. This spiritual mark entitles them to God's grace and protection, while its permanent effect makes it possible to what? Evangelize and catechize, to preach 
and teach. And so, verse 23, we read, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. I call God to witness. This is oath language. He is binding himself to God. In verse 20, he talks about the great amen. So be it, so it is, or truly. Behind it stands a Hebrew term that conveys a sense of firmness or reliability. It was a covenant term. It was a term that says, I belong to you. You belong to me. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. St. Paul is establishing in this opening chapter that he belongs to God. He belongs to Jesus Christ. He belongs to the Holy Spirit. Essentially, he belongs to the Holy Trinity and the Holy Trinity dwells within him. This is what he bears testimony to. And, oh, by the way, my friends, what does he say there in verse 24? We work with you for your joy. It is about joy. That deep harmony with God. Yes, shalom translates as being in deep harmony with God, but the outgrowth of that peace is an authentic joy. And this is what we work towards. That spiritual fruit of joy that frees us from all of the burdens of the world. We are joyful because we know that in the end, God has already won. (laughs) And it is our business to remind people of that, is it not? All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, observations about anything we have been talking about here on Seas of Truth, not only this evening or yesterday, but just more generally, any question you might have about the Christian and Catholic faith, please send it my way at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. Or as always, you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, we close. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.